0: You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Well, we come uh, back to uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, with Galatians chapter 2, the first 10 verses, which are printed in your service sheets there. As we look at this this evening, uh, just to remind us of the context of this, Paul the Apostle is writing to these churches in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and he is reminding the people there about what the gospel is, that is this message that is from God, not from Paul's imagination, that it is not from man, but from God. And this very God of the universe has commissioned Paul to bring this message to them. And Paul is, is reminding these people that he does not need the approval of other churches to speak this message, particularly the Jerusalem church. But that, what we see here, Paul uh, is preaching the same gospel that Peter is preaching in Jerusalem. And so as we look at this this evening, we'll see the ways in which Paul is seeking to explain and defend the gospel from various perversions that are popping up. So hear these words from Paul's letter to the Galatians, starting in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influ- influential, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the gentiles and when James and Cephas and John who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the gentiles and they to the circumcised only they asked us to remember the poor the very thing i was eager to do so we come this evening to galatians and it's certainly one of paul's uh, angriest letters Especially in a contrast when we've looked at the letter to the Ephesians, which when it overflows in love as Paul details the way in which the triune God is working out salvation for the Ephesians and indeed all of us. Here when we come to Galatians, there's a a bite, there's an anger to Paul and he's angry at the ways in which the gospel is being perverted, the ways in which people are seeking to take the gospel of freedom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and add things to it. The problem comes in, as Paul will be showing us, is that as soon as you start adding onto the gospel, what you have is what he says is actually no gospel at all. The freedom that was promised in the gospel turns out, when you start adding things to it, to be slavery once more. And so for Paul, this is a, a very concerning point to him that he's making to this church that he helped set up. He helped uh, see this church as it will uh, be born. He was one of these, uh, one of the, the men instrumental in helping this church to be planted here throughout this region. And so he tells us at the beginning of verse two, he's still trying to explain to them his own ministry, to remind them of where his calling has come from and where his authority, who he is accountable ultimately to. And so he says after 14 years, he went up to Jerusalem, taking Barnabas and Titus with him, that he was given a revelation, really that the Lord Jesus Christ commanded Paul to go up to Jerusalem. Paul really had no need or really no desire at this point to go and to, if you will, check up on his message versus the message from the Jerusalem church. But Christ tells him to go, and Paul does. And Paul will be reminding us through this letter, he wasn't needing approval for the gospel per se, but he was making sure that he and the other churches were working together proclaiming the same message, the same message. He didn't need their uh, validation because Christ was the one who had given him this message to proclaim. But nonetheless, he goes at the bidding of Jesus. He goes to these people who seem influential, and he proclaims to them the gospel that he has been proclaiming to the Gentiles. And he says here in this curious statement, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. It almost sounds as if Paul was was concerned to make sure that his gospel was the correct gospel that he was preaching for these 14 plus years. But I think that betrays Paul's point. Paul knows the content of the gospel. He knows that it has been given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is doing now is he's coming, laying this gospel before the Jerusalem church and for the leaders who are there. And if they tell him his gospel is wrong, suddenly we have this huge problem in the early church. That would make Paul's ministry incredibly difficult You can just imagine the tension Paul has that as he comes to these men, these pillars in the Jerusalem church, and if they tell him that the gospel he has received is wrong and forbid him from preaching and teaching, suddenly there's going to be this huge problem in the early church. But what Paul is going to go to great lengths to remind the people that he's writing to is that Paul and Peter and the Jerusalem churches, they all have the same authority and that's the, the Lord Jesus Christ above them all. And so he brings Titus with him. Titus, who he says is a Greek. Really, he means Titus, who is a Gentile, who is laboring alongside Paul in this ministry. So you can imagine you have Paul and Barnabas, who are ethnically Jewish. And then you have Titus, who is a Gentile, and the three of them are laboring here, and they have planted this church in a Gentile region, full of mostly Gentile Christians. And so Titus, who comes now with Paul as a a Gentile, he is someone who is uncircumcised, meaning he doesn't have the sign of the covenant of the Jewish people. And that's going to be one of the big problems that is brewing here in these churches in the Galatian region. And so Paul speaks of, of this as he's coming to explain and then defend this gospel. In verses 3 through 6, you can see the ways in which he's now having to defend the content of the gospel and this conflict that arises over circumcision. And in one sense, it may seem interesting uh, curiosity to us to be looking at this church debate that was happening many, many years ago and wondering really what effect does it have on us today because we're not generally having uh, church debates about the needs for circumcision, are we, today? But nonetheless, it is helpful to see this not only because it's God's holy word, but it is, again, is a reminder of the the content of the gospel and the ways in which it is very easy for people to add in things on top of that gospel, things that that they then require of people to do. And we see this really throughout the world in many false versions of Christianity. And so Paul here is at great lengths to be reminding people that the gospel is this wonderful Uh, simplistic, uh, simplest, simplest, simple statement of Christ who has come into this world in order to save sinners, that not by works, but by faith alone in him. But nonetheless, as the church is moving outside the bounds of Judaism, there is going to be this interesting question, because the sign of circumcision was something that was given uh, long before to Abraham as a sign and seal of God's promises as something that was to be part of an everlasting covenant. And so then you can understand the the complications that the Jewish Christians are running into. Shouldn't circumcision then be something that lasts for all times and for all people? That all believers need to be circumcised in order to come into God's people. So in one sense, I can have some empathy as they read their Old Testament. The problem they were running into though, is that they're, they're missing the transition point. They're missing the fact that Christ has come, that the, the covenant and the way it is administered is different now. And the ways in which Paul will do this in much greater detail in the book of Romans, in chapter four, where he'll detail out how Abraham believed God before he was circumcised, actually 20-some years before that, in order to remind the people in Rome that Abraham believed and then the sign was applied to him, And so we have this situation now where we have the, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, we have uh, these two Jewish ministers, if you will, and then we have Titus, this Gentile, and now what is going to happen? And Paul says it already seems to be a, a small powder keg when you have in verses 4 and 5 that these uh, brothers, he calls them false brothers, secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we, might, that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. That these false brothers were brought in. And they slipped in secretly to these meetings. They were spying on them. And Paul's really painting a picture that these people are not acting in good faith. They're, they're there to cause trouble. The, they're, they're there, ultimately, Paul says, to bring believers back into slavery. That the wonderful gospel news is life and its freedom. And here, these uh, these false brothers are coming in in order to add on to the gospel, to ensnare these Christians and bring them back underneath this time of bondage and slavery. And so Paul says to them, "We didn't submit even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you." It, Especially in the church, there are many good times where uh, there are many times in, in which we, we learn to bear with one another. We learn to bear one another's burdens. We learn to even disagree about theological points. But Paul says there comes a moment when there is something that is of such importance that you cannot and you must not ever depart from it, for before you, before you would be departing from the very gospel, the very faith that we proclaim, that you would be moving from a gospel to something that is no longer the gospel, meaning something that cannot ultimately then save. That's why it's so important to Paul that we get the gospel right, because it is only the gospel that saves. And so that's why Paul says, not even for a moment did we yield to them. There was no ground to be given. There was no compromise that could be had. And so Paul says we persevered But it's interesting to note as he's writing this letter, as he he, he is angry and he is concerned over this church and these false teachers, but he says, we preserved for you, for you Galatian Christians. We preserved, we fought the hard fight, we said the hard words in order that we might stand firm on this gospel truth. And so Paul then says, Those who were influential, and again, he adds this small notation here in the uh, uh, parentheses as an aside that it really doesn't make any difference to him. It's kind of funny to hear that, yes, they are influential, but it doesn't make any difference to me. God shows no partiality. But he lays before them the gospel. He has Titus there as an example. And what do these men do in the Jerusalem church? On the contrary... Unlike these false brothers who wanted to pervert the gospel, what actually happens with the Jerusalem church is that they see that Paul was entrusted with the gospel. Paul was entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. They they recognize the same content. They recognize the same author. They recognize the same authority that Paul is under. And they rejoice That the Lord Jesus has called Paul to send him to the Gentiles, just as the Lord Jesus had called Peter and those in the Jerusalem church to send them uh, to the Jews. And we see the ways in which this works through the book of Acts, where Peter is preaching and proclaiming. And the first half of the book of Acts is all about how the church is growing in Jerusalem and Judea. And the second half of the book of Acts really takes off with Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, going out to the Gentile world. And Paul here reminds them that there is not only agreement between Peter and Paul, but also that uh, for for he who worked, meaning Jesus who worked to commission Peter for his task, is the same one who has commissioned Paul for his task. So they're preaching and proclaiming the same thing, and they're both sent by the same person. And so in James and Cephas, that's Peter and John who were pillars. They saw the grace that was within me. They not only, not only said that Titus didn't need to be circumcised, but they also gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, and that we should go to the Gentiles and that they would go to the circumcised. So not only do they, in a sense, begin settling this debate, that this debate's going to rage a bit longer in the early church, but they, they see the grace, they understand where Paul is coming from, and they then affirm his ministry. They, again, they give him the right hand of fellowship. They, they understand that Paul is a brother and a fellow laborer with them. Really, Paul can't say any stronger that he and the Jerusalem church are doing the same thing, preaching the same thing to different people groups. And then he appends this in verse 10. Only they asked him to do one thing, to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And we'll come back to that one In a moment. And so Paul here is dealing with people who are are trying to take the Galatian church, take these Gentiles and revert them back to a Judaism pre-Christ. They're they're trying to find a way in which they can take Judaism before Jesus Christ and Christianity post-Christ and sort of mesh them and and, and merge them together without realizing the uh, amazing the, the amazingness of what has happened and been accomplished at the cross. And so Paul will continue to work through this theme of helping people put things in the correct order. For the Jews of Jesus' day were often looking at the fact that they were sons of Abraham and that they were circumcised and finding their justification in those things, their right standing before God in those things. Where Paul is saying, actually, what it is is what we find our salvation and is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him Alone and to then go back and to add things onto that is to misuse, to misunderstand, and actually to lead us back into slavery. And then Paul concludes this section with There was only one thing they asked him to do. They corrected none of his theology. They just said, By the way, remember the poor. Remember the poor. Remember to help the poor of God's people. I just think it's an interesting statement here that here Paul is, is excited. I was eager to do that already. And the one thing they asked him to do is to remember the poor. I can almost see Paul there. Don't worry. I'm eager to do that. I'm eager to help. And really, we'll see that through Paul as he'll work to raise funds in order to even help the Jerusalem churches later on when they experience a large famine. And so Paul here is very, very concerned that we get the gospel right And really the question we should be asking is, do we just recognize the gospel? Do we know the contents of the gospel? Will we know how to hear the gospel being preached, the gospel being taught, seeing the gospel in action? Because there are many who would proclaim to be preaching the gospel, but be preaching other things. And Paul is saying, as soon as you divert from that gospel, as soon as you start adding other things on top of it, other ways in which you need to have Jesus plus something else, Paul says that's not just an error. Earlier, he'd say that that's damnable, that those who do such a thing are to be accursed. It's vital, it's of vital importance, Paul says, that we understand what the gospel is about, that we understand the, the content of the gospel, we understand the one who has delivered the gospel to us, that the gospel is not from man, but from God. That the gospel is offensive to Jew and to Gentile. That the gospel comes from God, and that because it comes from God, it actually offers real hope and real salvation. You can understand when these uh, false brothers are speaking about other things that need to be added to the gospel, how Paul is seeing this as truly what it is, as it is slavery. By telling them that it is not just belief, but belief plus. That leads ultimately to slavery because it puts you in a position where you never truly know if you are saved or not. You're constantly working, constantly having to do all of these things instead of resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do we recognize the gospel? But do we recognize the gospel in us? Paul says that we have been entrusted with this good news, that we are ambassadors, that we are emissaries. They we are those who are called to advance the kingdom. I think one of the best quotes I've ever heard is Charles Spurgeon when he speaks of John Bunyan. He says this of Bunyan, Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. He said, I would quote John Bunyan as an instance of what I mean. Read anything of his and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with the scripture, and though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his pilgrim's progress, that sweetest of all all prose poems, without continually making us feel and say, why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere, his blood is Bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend his example to you, beloved. The gospel at work in us. Do we bleed Bible? Do we know the word of God? That is Paul's antidote to this, is to know what the word of God says in order that we may be fit, that we may be equipped to do every good thing that we may be changed inside by its content, right? It's one thing to believe the gospel. It's another thing to be changed by it, to see it at work in us. So brothers and sisters, this evening, do we bleed Bible? Do we know the content of the gospel? And is it changing us day by day? That is Paul's concern here. And may it be our concern as well. Amen. Let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot For more, thank you.